Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Active Optimist podcast. This is Arena, your host, the Active Optimist. With everything I do, I want you to believe that you don't have to be depressed forever. I truly believe that depression is the ultimate cry for help, not for happiness, but for connection back to ourselves and what truly matters. I'm here each week to support you, bring community, and give you daily actions to address the social, psychological, and biological causes of depression so that you can step into the life you know you're meant to lead. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast episode. Irina, if you're new and if you're returning, thank you so much for returning from the bottom of my heart, and I love you. So in this week's episode, we will be talking about insecurity and depression. So insecurity, obviously, it can come in many, many forms and can, you know, touch different parts of our lives depending on the individual. So I know this is a very individual thing, but I just wanted to talk about it based on my experience and just how insecurity is like a real thing and it's not shameful to have an insecurity because I think everyone, well, I know everyone has it or the people I know If someone doesn't have one, please reach out to me because you can come on the podcast and we'll spill your secrets. But if you're like the rest of us mere mortals, I think everyone has insecurities. So I don't think it's something that we should be ashamed about. And sometimes it's okay to have that. And it doesn't mean that it's a place where, you know, you have to work on yourself. This is based on my experience. As I always say, I'm not a therapist. I'm not licensed. I'm just a girl who likes talking about her mental health, talking about depression, and talking about all things that are intertwined in that, which is more or less life in and of itself. So this week, we'll be talking about insecurity, depression, the relationship between that. We will be talking about the Cinderella story, which we'll just go over, go over why we are all insecure, especially as girls and especially as human beings around our physical appearance. And then last but not least, I'll be just talking, sharing a little bit about how to feel more confident and raise your self-worth. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode. So as you've known through my story with depression, after I got through the worst of it, I realized that a lot of my depression came out of having low self-worth. Self-worth surrounding myself, family, about being lovable, around being worth living for or living with, and just understanding that I am a worthy, amazing person as my own, no matter what happens, no matter what other people are going through, no matter what other people decide. And a lot of things actually aren't really actually connected to your self-worth at all. It's more a uh, perception, a self-perception, a subjective perception of yourself that you yourself determine. And when I was really depressed, I had this feeling that I was really dependent on external things to be living a life worth living. And this is what gets to self-worth. So as I said before, self-worth is subjective and it's determined by ourselves through the lens that we see ourselves. So self-worth is how we subconsciously value ourselves and what we believe ourselves to be deserving of. It is how we view our concept of self and is completely subjective and malleable, which is 
good for us because we can actually change the way we perceive ourselves and what we are worthy and deserving of so that it reflects a higher self that is less depressed, has a real purpose in life, is worthy of love, and is worthy of giving love to other people because they are a human being. And self-worth is really based on societal beliefs taught through family, our friends, our culture, the media, on what is right versus wrong, good versus bad, or what we should do, act, think, look like in order to fit in. And most often, and this is for me too, people who feel like they don't live up to what has been programmed in their subconscious as the right way to live, be, think, look like, etc., begin to develop low self-worth. And I think that disconnect between what we think we are and what society, you know, says that we should be and where we're failing. And if that, you know, perceived distance is really, really big, that's a very good reason to be depressed. And it's a very good place and a breeding ground where we get insecurities, where we get you know, proof that we are not worthy or that we are worthless or we're hopeless and helpless and that we are stuck in this cycle and in this place that is so far removed from what our society tells us. But obviously, as I said before, it's subjective, so we can actually change that. But the trick is, and I'll talk about this later, it's actually not about getting closer to those societal standards or what you think you should be to fit in. It's actually just disintegrating that and releasing that and understanding and realizing in your mind that that is just a trick of our society to, you know, make a conformed self. And that's not like necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing when it affects our mental health. Obviously, we want people as a society, as a whole, to conform to some things, to have a general understanding about this is how the way that our society is going to work and this is the way the world works. So then we can get on with the rest of our lives because if we start arguing about that, then nothing would happen. And that's why there's a ton of wars sometimes. But when it starts to affect us in our mental health and with things that make us feel insecure, that make us feel worthless, that make us feel hopeless, then that is when we should start questioning if these societal beliefs, if these societal standards are serving us. Some will be serving us because they're keeping our society together, but some won't be serving us because they're detrimental to our sense of self-worth, our mental health, and maybe contributing to depression or extending your depressive episodes. Insecurity in some sense is an extension of fear that you are not in a place to survive. And that's why insecurity really breeds on where we're not fitting in. Whether it be your body that you're not fitting in because you're ugly, because your stomach pokes out, or you're too tall, you're too short, you have weird feet, etc., it could be your intellectual things, that you're too nerdy, that you are interested in old, rare cards when no one else is. And that may be a sense of insecurity, but then you gain confidence in yourself. 
you may feel insecure because you're not the best person on your soccer team because your athletic ability isn't really aligning with the people around you and you kind of feel like you're just sticking out and you're out of place in that environment. So evolutionarily speaking, and I think this is important so we understand that insecurity isn't a fault and it isn't something that's wrong with us, it's just a natural thing. So evolutionarily speaking, insecurity arises from thinking that my place in the tribe is compromised. Today, that is more or less the same. In a good way, it pushes us to take action to be in a safer place sometimes, but in a bad way, it breeds low self-worth, doubt, and low confidence. And also another difference between our evolution by way, way back in the past and now is that our world that we're living in today is often conditioning us into being insecure. Yes, this may be, you know, my utopian idea of the prehistoric man that didn't have to worry about looks, status, character flaws, etc. as much as we are breed to do. But I do think that, you know, the times that we're living in with a lot of images when we're able to see millions and millions of people that we would never see if, say, we didn't have social media or if we didn't have telephones or whatever, the trade-off for the great technology that has changed our lives for the better, I think, just overall, is that we have a greater pool of people to compare ourselves with. And I think a greater consolidation of what is more or less standard or what is ideal. And it can actually not be something that you see in real life. It's just something that you may be seeing a lot on the internet and you think that's the ideal and that's what's told to you, even though you've never actually seen that in real life, in real person. Um, so I think all of those you know, forces have led us to be more insecure than other generations before us. However, it's just an unavoidable part of the human experience. It's unavoidable. It's not a fault of you. Everyone has it. And it's not a character flaw. But insecurity arises very often when we experience a consequence of being different from others in a perceived negative way and when we don't measure up to what we should be, quote unquote should be. We all want to feel connected and disconnection, of course, is a major, major feeling that depression brings. And this is what is connecting depression with insecurity. Depression says you're unworthy of love, that you're a useless bum, that you're worthless. And these negative thoughts that we may have in ourselves and may increase with depression, we find proof in the things that are more strenuous to us or we can't do to our depression. And we're like, see, I didn't perform as well on my math test because I was depressed and I couldn't get out of bed to study properly or my mind wasn't as sharp and I wasn't able to focus as well as my classmates. And look, that's why I am terrible at math and then it just spirals out from that. And also, it can be a proof of our insecurities that arise or are taught to us. So again, with the math test, you see that you failed the math tests and instead of being able to objectively view that, we very often reach for that as proof that we're not smart, that we are you know, intellectually challenged, 
that we're weird, that our brain doesn't work and our brain's broken. And basically we are hopeless and can't do anything. And that really just spirals into a deeper depression, stagnation, and just being paralyzed and not being able to do much about our situation and just make us feel terrible. So I want to go back to the Cinderella story that we're all told. So Cinderella is treated terribly by her family. She's in rags and she doesn't do anything about it. She doesn't run away from home. She doesn't do anything. She's not that type of hero in our story. But she one time meets a witch, her fairy godmother, whatever you like to call it, and she has a glow up. And she goes off and runs off to a party and then meets a guy that she really likes. She happens to have the right shoe size that he likes and they get married and live happily ever after because of her glow up. And as an effect, her life is 10 million times better after he rescues her from her stepmom and stepsisters. And I think Cinderella is a great point to start with because I know, especially as girls, Cinderella is one of the top princesses. Even if you don't like her story as much as other princesses, for me, I didn't. She's the top and we all know the story. And I think that it's very, very much used in a romantic sense in understanding what romance is. And basically, the point of the story is that you're not good enough until someone else tells you you are and until you, you know, look the part, you look like everything that that one person, that one man, that society, our culture wants you to be. Newsflash, and this is just a big newsflash, you are perfect and nothing's wrong with you. And just to put it shortly, Cinderella says, in order to be happy, I have to have a man, and to get a man, I have to be beautiful. And life chooses us as long as we're hot enough. And this is a story that I think is threaded through our whole culture and all of media, I'm pretty sure. And it basically teaches us that self-worth is dictated by our looks. And it seemed, our looks seem to be correlated with things like success and why this connects to the whole self, even if you're you know, not concerned with your looks, your appearance, or you don't place a lot of value on that. Or if you're a guy and you feel like this doesn't pertain to you, looks in our society are correlated with having success, being competent, being healthy, and being happy. And that's the key. So what they all say about looks, if you're hot, you'll be happy. If you're hot, you'll be successful. If you're beautiful, you're competent. If you are gorgeous, you're healthy and you are wanted at the end of the day. And even though, yes, like obviously success, obviously your competency, obviously your happiness isn't correlated with what your body physically looks like, we are trained to think that it does. And it reinforces scrutiny about body image And I think it breeds dissatisfaction or unhappiness in not meeting the standard. It tries to make you feel unhappy, unfortunately. And just with body image, and I think this really, you know, drills the point home, while those suffering with depression tend to perceive themselves as less physically attractive, they often retain the ability to be 
quite objective about the attractiveness of others. So you can see others and you'll be like, he's attractive, they're not attractive, she's not attractive, he's more attractive than than her, dot, dot, dot. But with your own self, you're unable to see that objectively and you're more likely to feel very, very unattractive and perceive yourself as physically less than others and by extension, less successful, less happy, less competent, less healthy. But because you are able to see other people objectively, this means that those struggling with depression or poor body image do not have a global distortion of body image. So there's nothing wrong with your eyes or your brain. It is individual. And obviously this can come out in different ways for each person. It can come out in self-disapproval. It can come out in eating disorders. It can come out in negative self-talk. And what's important is that this means that dealing with body image or eating disorders, if this comes out in your depression or in your mental health, it is critical to really address that specifically and address it in the way that it is, you know, affecting you when you are trying to set up your antidepressant life. And this means that when you do set up your antidepressant life, you have to deal with, you know, insecurity and body image and just a sense of self very individually. Not everyone who's depressed obviously has an eating disorder and not everyone who has an eating disorder is depressed. And not everyone who has self-confidence issues is depressed and not everyone who's depressed has self-confident issues. So you just have to, you know, understand and figure out where you are and try to tailor your antidepressant life to that. And I do think it's very important that you have very good body image confidence. You're a physical person on the physical plane and interact with people on that physical plane and, you know, see on that physical plane. So I think to, you know, be attentive to that and care about that. It's not vain. It's not superficial. I think that this is real. And I think that, you know, people saying that it's superficial or saying that it's vain doesn't actually address any issue that may arise around body image or insecurity or whatever else you're dealing with. If you're not feeling good about your body and then someone says, you know, body image, it actually doesn't mean anything. It's so superficial. That isn't going to make your life better and that's not going to make you feel more confident or feel like you're a worthy, lovable human being. So with that, I want to go into how to evaluate your self-worth, raise it, and feel more confident. So I have three questions that I think are a great starting point in understanding our self-worth and what our self-worth is right now. Is it low? Is it high? Is it medium? And it's your job to really rate yourself and see where you want to go. And hopefully this will reveal where you can put your focus on to have the highest turn in rewards and have, you know, the biggest growth in your self-confidence and self Um, security journey. So I do encourage you to get a pen and paper, journal, or something, or just write these questions down and then go back to it. And that will also be part of our action of the week. 
So the first question is, where are you today? So look at the people in your life and you will be reflected by them. As they say, you are the sum or average of the five people that you hang around most. So ask yourself, are these people confident, authentic, supportive, or do they make you feel small and exhausted? Are they treating you well or are they treating you as a second thought? Do they have things that you want to attract in your life or are you wanting to attract things in your life that they actually don't have and don't want to attract? Are your visions for the future aligned? I think these are really important because if, you know, if you're surrounded by people that are confident, that are self-assured, even if you don't feel confident and self-assured, they are reflecting that you are going in that direction and that's what you want in your life. And it just brings the good energy and the good vibes to your life so that you're surrounded by it and to support you in your journey to becoming more confident and less insecure. And just a disclaimer, you are not attracting any oppression or abuse. And obviously, if you're experiencing any of that, please seek help. And it's really not a reflection of you at all. But if there are relationships in your life that aren't abusive, that aren't oppressive, that may be a reflection of where you're going or what you think you're, of yourself as or where you want to be. And it may be a supportive environment or it may not be a supportive environment. The second question is, how are you reacting to others? Where are you hiding shame or inadequacy? So this is important because so many of the times our insecurities show up by our judgment of others. We often project our insecurities on other people. So are you judgmental of others? And if so, what areas in their life are you judgmental of? Can you take a compliment? So very often, if someone gives us a compliment, say, you're so smart, and we are unable to take it, it's because we don't believe that we are smart and oftentimes we think the total opposite and we're like no 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 you got the wrong person i am a total dummy airhead don't even call me smart you are mistaken and have you projected your stuff onto others or gaslit them in that process and these are places where your low self-worth may be coming out in a way that we don't know or that we have yet to acknowledge and the last question is, are you easily triggered or feel dissatisfied? And where does this happen? Where are you feeling small, unimportant, and undeserving? Settling is a low marker of self-worth, and dissatisfaction is often a sign that we have to move on. So settling is when we believe we're not worthy of something better than we truly deserve, whether it's a job, whether it's a college, whether it's school, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is, whether it's material possessions, settling is when we believe we are not worthy of something better. So we, you know, stay with what is safe and what we think we are worthy of, even if our potential extends beyond that. So with these three questions, hopefully this will reveal where our work begins. We all have self-worth unblocking to do. I think that it's a lifelong thing and just as insecurities are natural I think going through self-worth work is 
a constant thing that we all have to go through and it changes in our lives. Some years will change a lot and some years we won't. And sometimes other things will take over our lives and we'll have to focus on that. And, you know, it comes in waves, but I do think that it's so important to understand where you are right now and maybe a year from now, two years from now, come back to your questions or come back to your answers and see what's changed. Maybe you actually have grown more confident in your, say, intellectual ability or in your job and just appreciate that because that's how we grow and that's how we start living an antidepressant life and just putting all the pieces and connecting all the pieces so that we have a good safety net. We have a good threshold about where our self-confidence, our self-worth, and our mental health stands. And it's really just all about raising the threshold about where our mental health is. So when it dips, it doesn't you know, fall from an already low point. And the only last question to ask is what actionable steps can you do to address places of low self-worth or insecurity that was revealed in the above questions? So what can you do right now today in addressing what was revealed in the questions? Did you figure out that you were really insecure about your career choice because you felt like other people were judging you on that? Did this reveal insecurity in your sexuality and maybe your lack or amazing experiences around sex or your gender or whatever it may be? There's so many places where we can find insecurity and obviously we don't want to, you know, search for insecurity and bring them up. But I think having an understanding about where it is, is good so we're not blindsided by it. And self-acknowledgement and self-interest and just self-understanding is so very often what we need to release ourselves from that insecurity or release ourselves from its hold on us. So that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. So we actually haven't had an action of the week recently, which is my fault for falling off on that. So I want to bring it back to the episodes. So the action of the week is to write down in your journal 10 sentences that you would use to describe yourself. And the question is, what is the tone of your personal description after you write these 10 sentences? And obviously these don't have to be long sentences. And then put on a scale from one to 10 where you think your self-worth is standing and that's your self-worth assessment. Obviously, if you want to really dive into this, you could do the three questions that I had in the podcast episode. But for those of you who don't have that much time or just want to do it quickly, write down in your journal 10 sentences that you would use to describe yourself and, you know, take a step back, maybe come back the next day or take a sip of water, get a coffee and see, try to see objectively what that person, you, is writing about that person, you. Might take a little trick of the mind, but hopefully that helps. So thank you again for listening to the podcast. I love you. Shout out to all our listeners around the world. I really appreciate you just listening and being so invested in your mental health. We're almost coming up a year of 
the active optimist, previously subsequently depression, and it's just so exciting. And I actually did it. You actually did it. So yeah. So yeah. Anyway, I'll leave you with lots of love, peace, and joy. Take care of yourself and take care of others as always. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.